People are transported in open trucks or in tractor trolleys just like cattle. People are forced to pick 20 to 30 kilograms of cotton. People can get reprimanded for failing to pick that amount. Ladies and gentlemen, the government of Turkmenistan does not acknowledge the problem. They claim that cotton is harvested by machines and if people are seen picking cotton, those are volunteers. But that is a lie. That's Ruslan Mayatiev, a journalist from Turkmenistan and a victim of forced labor. It's almost unbelievable, but it is true that still in 2022, some of the clothes on our backs are made with modern slavery. Now, the EU is finally doing something to stop it. Il president. Hello and welcome back to Take a Left the podcast from the Socialists and Democrats. More than 28 million people worldwide, sometimes also inside the European Union, are suffering under forced labour. More than 28 million people. And that's Bert Langer, a member of the European Parliament from the Socialists and Democrats group and the chair of the Parliament's International Trade Committee, speaking last month. The EU can do something to force companies to change to ensure that products in our shops are not made in inhumane conditions. But successive attempts to get the Commission to act didn't get anywhere, until recently. Now, finally, the Commission has answered our group's demands and proposed a law. We don't have the power to end forced labour around the world tomorrow, but we are the largest market in the world, and as such, the EU has a lot of power. We can stop the EU from importing such products and by doing so, end the shameful practice of forced labour. So it's really urgent to act. Trade has to be based on our values. It's not just an end in itself. It has to benefit the people on the ground. It has to benefit to stop forced labour. The SND, myself, um, and also the International Trade Committee requested a piece of legislation for a long time. Um, in 2010, we uh, started uh, with the hard work to ask for such a legislation, so uh, 12 years ago. And uh, I remember here in this room, I discussed uh, eight years ago with the former Commissioner of Trade, Cecilia Malmström, exactly about such a legislation. So the SND pushed very hard for a legislation banning products of forced labor. Now we have a proposal on the table, and I'm quite, quite happy with this proposal because it is covering not only the import of uh, forced labor, but also the marketing of forced labor products inside the European Union. This means that we have also to investigate, for example, the meat industry in Germany and the conditions of the people working there. Um, and also the export of products based on forced labor. Turkmenistan is one of the most repressive regimes in the world. Tens of thousands of people are forced to pick cotton, and that cotton ends up in our clothes. Journalist Ruslan Mayatiev was one of those victims. He spoke at our forced labor event in Brussels. 
My name is Ruslan Miatif. I'm the founder and editor of Turkmen News, an independent media and human rights uh, organization dedicated to promoting freedom of expression and the rule of law in Turkmenistan, one of the most closed, censored and repressive countries in the world. It is often compared to North Korea. There is no press freedom in Turkmenistan and all civil society activists are either imprisoned or are based overseas, just like me. Since 2013, we monitor the use of forced labor in Turkmenistan during the cotton picking season. We do this with the help of uh, trained monitors and sources working in the public sector in Turkmenistan and who are also forced to pick cotton. This shameful practice in the 21st century is entirely organized by the government of Turkmenistan. The orders to harvest cotton till the last ball and before a certain date come from the central government in the capital in Ashgabat. Every year the harvest involves tens of thousands of public sector employees including teachers and doctors who are forced to pick cotton under different threats including termination of employment. Jobs in Turkmenistan are scarce and the state remains the major employer. On average, teachers and doctors have three days of uh, cotton shift in a week, and that starts about in late August until the very end of November and sometimes even early December. We calculated that on average for the whole cotton picking season, a school teacher or a doctor has to pay around 100 euros to be free from cotton, which may not seem a lot of money, but Given that their monthly wage is about 100 euros, that's a lot of money. Ruslan Maetiev was himself forced to pick cotton. Although forced child labor is not used anymore since 2007, when I was at school, I picked cotton. From September 1 up until about this time, every day we would be working in the cotton fields. However, children between 9 and 16 years of age are often seen in the cotton fields. They either replace their parents who are uh, public uh, servants or pick cotton to help their families. As I said, in Turkmenistan, jobs are few and the wages are very, very low. Often teachers who are forced to pick cotton send their students in their place uh, in exchange of money or good marks. People are transported in open trucks or in tractor trolleys just like cattle. Often the ride is one uh, to one and a half hours and upon arrival to the cotton field, people are forced to pick 20 to 30 kilograms of cotton. People can get reprimanded for failing to pick that amount, but in the last few years, the cotton crop was so low that picking that amount was nearly impossible. Ladies and gentlemen, the government of Turkmenistan does not acknowledge the problem. They claim that cotton is harvested by machines and if people are seen picking cotton, those are volunteers. But that is a lie. The secret police of Turkmenistan seek to silence our monitors and reporters, fabricating criminal cases against them and sending them to prison for many years. And some countries already have a law. Rosie Hurst sets out how we're looking across the pond at some instruments that the US government have, which have already forced change from some companies. So I've been working in this field for 25 years and I have never seen anything as effective as the US Tariff Act for changing corporate behaviour. So the company Top Glove, we knew before, as we knew all the other glove manufacturers in Malaysia, and we had been saying for some time, look, this is forced labour, you've got all 11 indicators, something has to change. And we, we'd made some tiny progress, sometimes by working with coalitions of buyers in order to provide a little bit of pressure. But 
It was only when US CBP used that stranglehold of you can't import your products anymore that we saw real change. And the change we saw was fascinating. It resulted in the repayment actually at top glove of 38 million US dollars to around 16,000 people, including people who had already left the company. So it was backdated by a couple of years. Um, And that's probably the single largest repayment by a single company for anything in the human rights field ever in the history of the world. And that was accomplished pretty quickly over a period of six to nine months. But they also spent a total of 150 million also on things like upgrading accommodation, changing management practices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was possible for us to say after about 18 months that there are now no longer systemic indicators of forced labour present at top glove. Having worked with the American system, Rosie Hurst has some clear pieces of advice to European legislators on building a truly comprehensive and effective instrument without loopholes. So make sure that the instrument is sharp and that it cuts, because in the end, it is that that makes change. Number two, remember that one person's standard industry practice is another person's forced labour. So in making my first point, I am not saying don't talk to other countries about the way that they manage their labour markets and indicate to them what the risks are, because much of this is regulatory. Make sure that your instrument incentivizes real change, not paper change. So this is not seeing beautiful policies and beautiful handbooks. It's not about making companies pariahs. There has to be room for and a requirement for remedy. Require remedy. So redemption is crucial. So when a company has remediated, they should be led back into the room garlanded with roses not further punished. This is quite hard to do because mud sticks, but if this is to work, those who change their ways and improve things should be praised and they shouldn't have mud thrown at them, which is why I commend Top Glove because Top Glove are going around the world speaking about their experience and they should be praised for that because they have made a big change. Raphael Glucksmann is an MEP from France. He has been one of the loudest campaigners for this law. But for Mr. Glucksmann, this wasn't always going to happen. It's a surprise, albeit a positive one, that the EU is doing this. The Commission at the beginning didn't want to do it. So now we can say that all of us have won something. At least we have something to debate and we are in this room with a concrete thing to improve. And, uh, and it's thanks to the work of the NGOs, of the activists, of the citizens that have shown how important it was for them. I mean, on certain campaigns against brands using Uyghurs as uh, forced labor, hundreds of thousands of uh, young French people mobilized themselves. I mean, it's really something that was carried out by the public and imposed. And I remember two years ago, I mean, the discussions, discussions were that with the commission that it was too complicated, that we cannot do that. And then once uh, Ursula von der Leyen came to the parliament and said that we will do it, then some people tried to say, yeah, but we will sneak it in uh, due diligence legislation in a way to make sure that both will be uh, totally impossible to enforce. So it's a victory to have two different texts and uh, to have the possibility to improve two different uh, texts. Raphael Glucksmann will continue to be one of the leading voices on this file. 
He's clear about the direction of travel needed to make it as ambitious as possible. One of the improvements that the Parliament needs to make on the proposal is burden of proof. Lack of clarity of this uh, document on the level of proof that is required and on who has to prove is going to be a major problem. So our work will be to really put ourselves in the situation of how we enforce it. And that's why it's very important for us to have this discussion, but it will be also very important for us to go to custom officers, to go to uh, national competent authorities, to discuss with them, to take the text and really screen it. How you will enforce it? What will you do with the goods? How you, do you have the information at the customs to actually uh, look after the goods? Because technically, I mean, I spoke with the French custom authorities. They don't have it now. As we speak, we need to make sure of that. It's very important for us to keep in mind we cannot solve all the issues in this specific text. So we have another text, which is due diligence. And it's very important for us because both are flagships for our group. I mean, that's really two fantastically important texts for our mandate. But we cannot put everything in this one, otherwise, we might deprive him of enforceability coherence and, and strength. So that's my only reserve about some of the things, that this is not the magic thing. This is something that has to be efficient and we will fight for it. And just one last word, it's just, it's a revolution, in fact. I mean, this ban, the discussion on due diligence, it's a revolution. It's the end of an era of weakness of the European Union. Now we have to turn the EU into a global normative power and to make sure that we use the fact that we are the first market in the world to actually put human rights into business and into facts. Well, there we have it. This is a revolution, an opportunity to move closer to a world without slave labor. The EU has elections in 2024. Before then, we hope to have ensured that we pass two key pieces of legislation corporate due diligence, and as we've just discussed in this podcast, forced labour. That's the focus of our group, the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. Thanks for listening to Take a Left, the podcast from the S&D. Take care.